First off, the first 10 minutes of the show is going to sound a little bit kind of sketchy. Um, I fixed it as much as I could, but you can only doctor something so much. So you can understand everything, and it's not terrible, but it's not what we we like to uh, put out. So sorry for that. And the second thing is, it's the worst thing. Um, we had some technical difficulties in the podcast cave this week and uh or this last week and uh the last ten minutes of our interview with Mr. Greg Recca was it was messed up. It was destroyed for the most part. Um I'm not quite sure exactly how it happened, but we're really sorry. Unfortunately there was some really cool stuff that was lost. But we do have an hour's worth of material here with Greg Recca that's fully listenable and sounds great so unfortunately that stuff went down last week but we have since worked on our on our stuff and everything should be good for further podcasts as always thank you for listening and don't forget to visit us over at www.shanleyandonbatman.com enjoy the show welcome to episode 48 of shanlin on batman i am your host justin shanlin we have Tom Harper Hello. back in the man podcast cave. There you go. Yup. New table. Yup. New Batman table, too. I like it. Where'd you get that new Batman table? My parents got it custom made for me for my Was birthday. It? Badass. I got, I got movies for what my birthday. What have your birth- parents got for you? Uh, th- they bought me uh, the X Men the animated series DVD. Oh, yeah! Like f- All right. three or four volumes of it. So I yes. was able, nice. I was able to watch some of that. That was nice. awesome. And I they also bought me Scooby Doo the Reluctant Werewolf and D two the Mighty Ducks. Oh wow! So yeah. I mean, it's clearly not as cool as an awesome Batman table. We'll post that on Twitter for everyone to see. Mine and Justin's birthdays are like four days apart and stuff. Uh-huh. So Actually, my birthday falls on the same day as the co-creator of Batman, Bob Kane. Who also actually passed away on this date. I Did don't know what year it was, but on this date, which is uh, November 3rd. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Today I learned. Yep, so. so co-creator Bob Kane. Yeah, crap. The more you know. Did you see? Um, did you see any of the new comics where they put in Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger? Bill Finger. I've not. I've not. I've been. Got not, I got one around here. I'll show it to you. Jorge. Jorge uh, tweeted that uh, photo of like the newest comic or oh Jorge from, Yeah, I was like, did that come out? He's like, yeah, it came out last week. So I'm I'm a week behind. I, f- I f- kind of feel like a doucher. Yeah, you didn't even know that Batman Beyond was out. I know. I'm, I'm s- like, I don't know, like, someone needs to ins- do some Inception. Don't, don't worry, you're still more ahead than I am. It's all good. Justin, give us a rundown on what's going on tonight. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk some movie news. Uh, we're not going to buckle our belt. Nope. We're not going to do that. 
we are going to really get into some some Batman stuff, and we have a very special guest tonight. I'm like really excited to uh, to talk to. This has been like a guest I've been trying to get for what the last two and a half, three months. Yeah, you've been trying pretty hard on this guy. Like it's been it's been a minute. Look, I remember tweeting him like he was supposed to come on like September, then something happened. Then we were gonna do it uh, right after New York Comic Con, and here we are. He's coming on tonight. We'll get to uh, who that guest is. I'll give you a little tease. He has written. We 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 keep telling you, Justin. His name's gonna be in the title. Of the I know. Podcast. Yeah. So so stop trying to. Didn't tease we it. already announce it on Twitter? Oh yeah, well I guess yeah. there's no surprise. Greg Rucka is going to be on yeah, the show I tonight. I was like the teaser though. Well, Give a little taste. See how many times can you tease something? I know. They're just... going to look at it and be like episode forty nine featuring Greg Rucka. I wonder what this is about. <laughs> it's episode forty eight. Forty nine. <laughs> Come on, Kyle. We we discussed. You this. know that when I'm in the you... basement, I forget how to count. Okay. Okay. So we got to back behind, in the. Man. I'm, no, please. You're going back in the basement. No, please. We're gonna we're gonna lock the door this time. You can't contain me. <laughs> okay, okay, Bane. <laughs> nice. So let's uh, let's so jump on some uh, Batman movie news. First things first. Ray Fiennes is going to be Alfred oh, in nice. yeah. the Lego Batman movie. I'm really excited to uh, have Lord Voldemort voice my. He who will not be named. Oh my god! I can't believe you said it. You, you just Alfred. doomed us all. It's gonna I be a snake here in like ten minutes. I'm gonna have to snag a rusty dagger. Nagini. Nagini is a. Bastard. I don't even know parcel tongue, man. How do you not know parcel tongue? I'm not a slither. <laughs> Justin's fluent in parcel tongue, apparently. I well, <laughs> I'm not fluent, but I know a few sayings. Do they have a high school class on that? They have college courses. I went to Hogwarts school. Which oh, nice. I, didn't even know I went to the alternative. What, what was your house? Uh, I'm Gryffindor. <laughs> See, that's where all the wannabe wizards actually go. All the I'm, real wizards are from Hufflepuff. I am Gryffindor. I'm sorry. <laughs> My best friend is a, a, a soulless ginger, okay? Damn. <laughs> Ronald Weasley. From Batman to Harry Potter. Well, <laughs> tis the life of a nerd. Well, it kind of like what I'm. It kind of segues into our next topic because our next topic is going to be Red Hood, and he's who I fan casted for Red Hood. I know I, originally I wanted Taron Edgerton. You talking about Daniel Radcliffe? Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe yeah. as uh, Red Hood. Yeah. Uh, I think that he would be a great role. He said previously he wants to be in a Batman film. I can I can see he's the right age. He he's a great actor. He can put butts in seats. So the rumor the the room the reason why we're going to talk about Daniel Radcliffe as Red Hood uh, is because the rumor from a Joe Blow article uh, recently revealed that uh, the Ben Affleck solo Batman film will feature the character of Red Hood. Now we've heard about this previously, how that Warner Brothers in DC really really like the character of red hood uh what do you guys think of it i think kyle kyle's more adverse to it are you adverse to it because of our the animated uh, am i adverse am i against one of my favorite characters appearing in a batman movie well i is that what you're trying to what are you trying to say i can't remember who i was talking to i thought it was you that said no 
I may have said it sarcastically, but oh. no, but and honestly, I'm pretty excited if that ends up being true. I, I love Red Hood. I think he can be a very well done character. There's there's a lot of potential there, so I'm I have my hopes up that happens. I'm kind of curious to see how they incorporate it, especially if the uh, Batman vs Superman rumors are true about how Robin and all that went down. So I'm kind of want to see what happens there, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it's interesting that for a movie. No, I'm not talking about Suicide Squad. I'm talking about Batman versus Superman, Down in Justice here. For a movie that has, for the most part, had everything under wraps. There was no leaks uh, from the set. There was uh, no real news like that like leaked out. I mean, other than a few things like Doomsday and uh, a f- few other things. Uh, but other than like photos of the Batmobile, we didn't really see much from the set of Batman versus Superman and for a for Joe Blow to get like the kind of like the I guess the scoop about Red Hood it's interesting I mean my knee jerk reaction is no it's not true uh, just because of how tightly wound the set and how everything's under lock and key at Warner Brothers right now like within this Batman v Superman, and since the script hasn't even been hasn't even been written yet for uh, for the next Batman movie, I can't imagine that they've already decided on who the villain would even be. Because if you think about it, like Ben Affleck just said recently, when, when he was asked if he was going to direct the next Batman film, he said, "Look, if the if the script's really well and everything kind of lines up with us." Because he's directing a film right now. And there's Justice League 1 and 2. He's got a film. If everything kind of works out in his favor, then yes, he will actually be directing the film. Like, he's going to be in the film. Is he going to be directing the film? Like, we've we've heard previously that he indeed was, but he finally had something to say about it. He's like, look, if the script's right, then yeah, I'm going to direct it. It's been a dream of mine. So for a website to say that they know for certain... That Red Hood, I like. I, I guess I don't want to misquote them. I don't. I don't recall them saying for certain that Red Hood was going to be the main villain of the solo Batman film. I just think that it's way too early to tell, since the script has not even been written yet. Right. Uh, that a character like Red Hood, or anyone, like it'd be safe to assume that Joker would be in the solo Batman film, just because of Jared Leto. But for me, I just don't. I'm not hedging my bets yet. On that, well, I mean, what do you think, Tom? I think it'd be cool, but I'm kind of with you guys where it's just not reasonable to think that they're gonna some that somebody's gonna spill the beans on something that big at this point in time. It's just it's too hard to say yes, that's gonna happen. It would be awesome. Red Hood's like that that guilty pleasure as a Batman fan in the world where like killing's bad and stuff, and then you got Red Hood shooting everybody in the face like that's pretty cool but i'm not gonna jump up and down over a speculation i would say right now or right it's just it's strange that you think the, it's safe to assume that's clickbait uh i don't like they've been like i i asked a few people like what's their record been lately and uh so far everyone's like they're pretty been, they've been pretty accurate but at the same time that the the film is it's 2015 four or five years away to think that they already have a plan for villains 
could they be musing about villains right this point? I mean, I'm sure Absolutely. they are. Yeah. Um, but to actually say, like, look, we have we have the villain, we have like the storyline. I just don't, I just don't buy that. I think that they, they, they can't. They haven't even been able to find a director for Man of Steel two yet, and that film's supposed to be coming sooner than the solo Batman film, right? So until they until they have uh, that s- set up, you know, like we we don't even have a Green Lantern cast yet. We just found out that uh, more casting news with Wonder Woman, and they're about to film or ha- have already started. So oh, yeah. I, I just think that uh, I just think that's too soon. Maybe it is a little bit of clickbait. Joe Blow is. I've been reading Joe Blow for since I was. Well, look at that killing joke tease we got, you know, and we haven't heard anything since. Right. It's kind of like the same thing to me. Like, yay, get a bunch of hardcore Batman fans really, really pumped for something, and then... Well, I mean, I saw it tr- trending on Facebook, it trended on Twitter. Oh, yeah, like instantly, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, would I like to see Red Hood as a villain? Absolutely, because yes. you're going to be bringing in so much Batman history between... Batman and Red Hood and Batman and the Joker. Right. And you're like that's going to be like the first film where Batman and the Joker are not meeting for the first time. They're at their peak. Oh yeah. Of how much that's they true. you know what I'm saying? They just hate each other. Like it, like it's just uh, war, like it's just ongoing and nothing surprises Batman until that happens like I mean, I'm sure they're going to seed a few things with Batman versus Superman. I, I, you'd, you'd really, I feel like you'd tend you to think have that, to, yeah. I mean, if you look at the Comic Con trailer, remember there was that uh, that you let your family die or something that news clipping with like it looked like Joker lettering, yeah. and there was also that uh, Joker lettering on the Robin suit. So yeah, could Red Hood be in a future solo Batman film? Absolutely. <laughs> Do I think he is? Um, right now, I'd say seventy thirty. I'd say seventy percent. Uh, he will be in the solo Batman film. It just would make sense. I feel like they've been kind of building up the potential of a Red Hood character since the first trailer. Just all sorts of little references, like you said, it could definitely happen. Um, but yeah, like it. But as of right now, like I don't, we're beating a dead horse with it. I'd love. I'd love to see it. I really think that Danny Radcliffe would be the the best guy for it. Just, if if you're talking about an actor, he, he can act. And he also can put butts in seats. He can... Could you just imagine having Daniel Radcliffe play a, uh, a villain in a Ben Affleck Batman film? Something that he's never done. He's always been the hero. That's true. He's always been the hero. I feel like it's almost something that he really should do for his career. Just you know, just kind of looking at where he's where he started and where he's at now. I think that would be a good turn, just to diversify things. Yeah, I think the last cool thing he did was rap on Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> he's also he's going to be in the uh, James McAvoy Frankenstein film. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That the trailer for that just popped up. Did I, it? I haven't seen the trailer yet, so I don't, I don't watch know. A lot of trailers, I thought I, I thought that it just popped up. But anyway, like I think if it wasn't Radcliffe, I'd like to see Taron Egerton from uh, that spy movie we talked about it last time. I thought you were going to say John Hamm. 
No. <laughs> Not this time. John Not Hamm. this time. John Hamm for president. Right in. That's Justin's advice. Any I mean, news? yeah, he'd make a great president. <laughs> great president. He looks great. He acts great. Yeah. He's got the Shinlin and Batman seal of approval. Yeah. I voted. He voted. Any other news? Uh, I mean, it really isn't, like, Batman-related news, kind of, but Nicole Kidman has been reported to be cast in Wonder Woman. I think you just killed Tom with that comment. Yeah. Dead. He's dead! Rip. Nicole Kidman. Chase Meridian? <laughs> Chase Meridian's in Wonder Woman? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about that. Like, it just... Uh, here's it's another, mildly interesting. Uh, one of the greatest female actresses of all time. Uh, she's already been in a superhero film before. There, It just is another... Uh, what superhero film was she in? Uh, Batman Forever. What? Whoa. What movie's that? No. We should talk about that. I should really see it. <laughs> uh, Did it come out recently? It's brand new. Oh. <laughs> and we just broke Justin. <laughs> Was there anything else that really happened? Mm, Red Hood, Nicole Kidman. But I mean, Ben Affleck did talk a little bit. Zack Snyder did a little... I mean, Scoot McNary did say that Batman v Superman is uh, very grounded in is very gritty, grounded in realism. So the, he did a, like a minor interview. I can't remember with who, but let, I already talked about that. I mean, but that's nothing. That's not anything we haven't heard yet, or anything groundbreaking. It just uh, reaffirms that uh, the DC Cinematic Universe is going to be more grounded. It's not going to be as fantastical as the MCU, which I'm all for. Yeah. I mean, just get a look at that. What are we looking at, Tom? Last I knew, we were looking at DC Extended Multiverse on Facebook. So why would we be interested in this page? They have the latest and greatest DC Extended Multiverse news. The other day I was watching this old Superman Returns trailer. It was amazing. They have fan casts. They have news updates, comic book talk. They post other trailers from other superhero movies from DC. It's amazing. Oh, go figure. Look at that. Yeah, man, all this just to click away at DC Extended Multiverse on Facebook. I don't know. I'm not so sure about it. What, you look at it? There's a community over 100,000 people who have liked this Facebook page. They're always commenting, liking stuff. They're always, always mentioning things that are happening in the DC Extended Multiverse. I, you gotta look at it this way, okay? You just gotta look at it. That's all you can do anymore. It seems like I've convinced Tom and Kyle. Have I convinced you, Paul? Yeah. You heard it, guys. It's that good. You need to go to Facebook and check out DC Extended Multiverse. DC. Extended. Multiverse. DC. Extended. Multiverse. Yeah. Alright, so let's jump right into uh, episode 48, like the meat of the show. Uh, tonight, uh, our guest... Uh, of is Greg Rucka. We are really excited to have him on. But before we bring him onto the show, I really want to talk about the things that he's already done. Like this man has written some of the some of the really great uh, Batman comics of the last 10, 15 years yeah. with No Man's Land, Gotham Central. I mean, this man's already won three Eisner Awards. He's been nominated for 20 other Eisner Awards. There's so many other things that he's done. He's written Detective Comics, 
Batman, uh, Batman the Chronicles. Uh, I mean, the list really goes on with everything that, he, that he's been able to do with uh, the character of Batman. And what's amazing about uh, tonight's guest is he is able to write on different mediums. Not only is he able to write across the pond, as in like he can jump from DC to Marvel, but he yeah. is a novelist as well. Like he is, uh, he's everywhere. He is omnipresent, very omnipresent with his writing ability. Like I said, twenty Eisner Award nominations, three wins. That's huge. So let's welcome to the show for the first time, Greg Rucka. Fire as you bear. Awesome. All right. All right. So let's first question jump for you. Uh, how'd you get started in comics, writing comics, and what was your first gig? As a, as a com in the comic book industry, um, <laughs> I uh, that that there's no easy answer to that. Um, it's 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 a long story. Uh, I yeah. got into comics the way most people want to get into comics, uh, or the way most people do. I wanted to write comics. I um, I'm. I have a suspicion I'm, I'm significantly older than you guys. Um, so that, <laughs> uh, when I when I got in, it was uh, it was it was a different process. Um, you know, these these days you have the benefit of the interwebs, right? And, uh, and you can sort of debut that way and 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 pretty much self-publish if you, if you need to. And that'll, you know, that, that, that's, that's a fine entree for me. I actually took a route that I wouldn't recommend anybody else taking, which is I published, I think at that point, three novels, um, before I actually managed to get, uh, anybody to give me the time of day. Um, I had a friend, uh, that I'd known in high school who, had started at Fantagraphics and ended up at DC. And that friend, when I started getting the novels published, basically was putting my books in front of his boss, who was in uh, collected editions, I think, at that point. And through one thing and another, uh, knew that I, I wanted to write comics. And... You know, I would go to San Diego and, and try to get somebody's attention and they would sort of smile politely and then push me away. And um, ultimately what happened was uh, <clears throat> I was introduced to uh, Bob Shrek and Joe Nosemack at a San Diego con as they were getting ready to form Oni Press, right? Right. So that was basically the initial gig. I met with Bob and Joe and sort of pitched them white out and that was my first really published comics work. The result of Whiteout was that I ended up at a WonderCon back when it was still in Oakland, California. And uh, that, same, uh, that same individual from D.C. Uh, and I were sitting in the bar with a bunch of other people. And she turned to me and said, you know, if I thought you had any interest in writing Batman, I, you know, I'd suggest you to, uh, to Denny O'Neill because they've just had a huge bloodletting in the bat office and they're looking for writers. Wow. And I kind of 
blinked at her and said, do I have any of you? Duh. <laughs> uh, she said, well, the next time you're in, you're in New York, and I live in Portland, Oregon uh, now, and then I was living in Eugene, Oregon. And she said, next time you're in New York, I'll see if I can't get a meeting between you and Denny. What? It's crazy. Well, so apparently the way she tells it is uh, she got back to the office and she went into Denny's, uh, went, went to see Denny in Denny's office. And she had with her copies of my first two novels, I think my third had just come out or was just coming out, but she had the first two in hand. And apparently she got through the door, as she tells it, and started to say, so Denny and Denny apparently like sat up and pointed at the second book and said, where did you get that? Um, and she said, well, I uh, know this guy and, you know, he works here and his, uh, his, the guy who wrote it is a friend and didn't said, I read the first one and I loved it. I didn't know there was a second one out. And she said, well, interestingly enough, <laughs> um, so I ended up out in New York to see my publisher. I was being published by Bantam at that point. And at that point, Bantam's office was literally right across the street from the DC offices. Awesome. Um, so I went over and uh, Denny and I went to lunch and I pretty much fanboyed all over myself in the most <laughs> um, and he was very kind and very, very genial with me. And, uh, and the long and the short of that was he said, well, I tell you what, why don't you, uh, why don't you write me a story <clears throat> and we'll see, you know, we'll see if it works. And I said, well, okay. So uh, I flew back. Um, from New York and pretty much drafted uh, the story Two Down, which ran in one of the early Batman Chronicles, I think, which was the first of the Montoya Two-Face stories that I wrote. And I got home and I typed the thing up and I sent it back. And pretty much the next thing I knew, they were throwing work at me as fast as they could. Wow. Because they had just come out of... Um, they like said they had just let, uh, they had just had a turnover in the office. And I think like of the four uh, longstanding bat writers, the only one who stayed was Chuck Dixon. And I think like everybody else had pretty much moved on. And also they were gearing up for No Man's Land. They had just oh, hit Cataclysm. Yes. So they were looking for, they were looking for warm bodies. <laughs> and, <laughs> And they were looking for warm bodies that could string uh, words together in a coherent way. Um, and uh, and pretty much the next thing I knew, I was I was going out there for meetings with the uh, with the whole of the bat group at that time, which looked very different than than what it is today, I believe. Um, and I ended up being one of the principal writers on No Man's Land, and that led to uh, basically a decade of working for DC because um, No Man's Land led into my first detective run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Denny, Denny was my rabbi. Denny was the guy who pretty much taught me the ropes. And, and, and the editors at that time, Jordan Gorfinkel, uh, Darren Vincenzo. Um, I missed Archie Goodwin um, by, by, I guess, about a year. I didn't ever get to work with him. Um, I missed um, Scott Peterson as an editor as well, I think. Um, but you know, Jordan was pretty much the driving force behind no man's land and Denny, you know, Denny was a great teacher. It was Denny who put, uh, Rick Burchett and me together. And, um, 
you know, Rick's been a dear friend, you know, ever since. So, right. Well, let's uh back it up just a little bit. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's not it's not a it's not an easy answer. How <laughs> <laughs> much time you guys got? We got you know? all of it. We have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, something. What, a question we like to ask all of our guests is, uh, what was your first? What What was your first interaction with with the Batman? Was it like the '66 series? Was it the Denny O'Neill? I think like, it was probably. I think it was probably the 66. I think it was probably um, seeing Adam West on TV. I mean, I'm old enough to, you know, I didn't, I didn't get it in first run, but you know, I would see it. I would see it in repeats, uh, you know, when I was a kid and, and that was my Batman for a really long time, which was, you know, goofy Batman. Yeah. uh, Silly Batman. Um, And in the way that you do when, you're young but think that you're not um you know i had that phase of going like man that's so i mean they didn't even realize how camp it was you know it wasn't until i was older where i was like no they knew exactly how camp it was at every stage they knew what they were doing you don't you don't deliver a line you know some days you just can't get rid of a bomb It's a straight face unless you know exactly how absurd that line is. So <laughs> most definitely. Um, so I think, you know, my, my initial exposure had been Adam West. And then what happened uh, was I, I, and I was quite young, you know, I didn't have a, a terribly powerful interest in comics um, other than, you know, I would pick up occasional, uh, digests, like in the supermarket, you know, reprints of, uh, they, they used to do these black and white little digest size reprints of like early Stanley Jack Kirby stuff. Like, you know, here are the first five issues of the incredible Hulk and things like that. Yeah. Right. Um, but my older sister has down syndrome. And when we were growing up, uh, the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk TV show is on TV. And my sister to this day has an undying crush on uh, Bixby and Ferrigno, um, uh, just as the Hulk. Um, and I remember, I think the first comic book story I went into, I just walked past it and realized, oh, hey, comics. And I went in and I picked up uh, a copy of like the Incredible Hulk magazine. It was written by Doug Mensch. And, um, and, and I got it for my sister and she had no interest in it at all because it's like, what is this? You know, this isn't the show. And I remember pouring over that, you know, taking it to school with me and trying to draw the panels and, 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 and discovering I had no artistic ability whatsoever in that regard. And then I, uh, I got to high school and I fell in with the nerdy gaming geek group, and they were all uh, X-Men readers. And that got me back into comic book stores. So the result of that was that I was actually in, uh, I had just gotten back into comics when The Dark Knight came out. Oh, perfect time. Best yeah, time to get back in the comics. And, and I remember, I mean, I remember the standee on the counter of that first issue cover. And 
that was revelatory. And that led to, you know, I mean, and then it's followed by year one. And then I ran back and, you know, I started reading, you know, I read the Daredevil Born Again stuff. So my Batman, you know, went from being Adam West to being this Frank Miller monstrosity in Dark Knight to this very humanized Bruce Wayne in year one, which I still think is is one of the best superhero comics ever. Um, I think year one is just brilliant. Um, and then, you know, I went off to college. And when you go off to college, again, you, you, you don't have a lot of money. Um, at that point, I wasn't reading. I was still reading some comics, but I wasn't picking up Batman. Um, I was picking up the question. Really? That's that's where I found the question. And that was when I really clicked on, well, I don't know who this Denny O'Neill kid is, but he's good. Right. You know? wow. And <laughs> discovered, oh, well, number one, he's not a kid. And number two, <laughs> I wrote the book on modern comics. Definitely. Um, oh, for sure. And then when I went to graduate school, I went to USC for graduate school in writing. And uh, I got to USC. The fall of my first semester in graduate school was the year that Batman the Animated Series debuted. Oh, yeah. And that, more than anything else, I think, uh, has influenced my take. You know, you, you take... Because Dark Knight, I've always read as um, it's non-canon. I, I, I've never read it as canonical. Uh, in the same way that I've never read Killing Joke as canonical, even though, you know, Barbara ended it's up in the It's stuck, yeah. Right. Um, but in an odd way, you know, year one was always canonical to me. And the animated series was oddly canonical to me, especially as I saw... The, the comics drawing more and more from uh, the animated series. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've got to go to, you know, Alan Burnett and Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, you know, more than anybody else, I think is sort of the, the people who, who sort of, you know, fed me, you know, proper Batman, I guess. Right. And you, I read somewhere or saw like an interview where you talked about, you actually sitting down and talking with Paul Dini about how to tackle the character of the Joker. Yeah. Um, why did you go about and do that? Like, like, obviously like Paul has, you know, he created Harley Quinn and, you know, help like reimagine the Joker for, you know, the animated series, but you, you're an established writer. Like why, why, why Paul Dini? Well, I wasn't at that time. I certainly didn't think I was. And I, I felt that, I was new enough to comics, and I, I loved the way he wrote the Joker. I thought, and I've, I, I, I'm not a Joker fan. You got to understand, there, there are characters that I, and I feel this across the board. Um, you know, some of them have been, the Joker has been incredibly overused. Right. Can't argue that. He, he may have been used brilliantly, right? But at a certain point, my willing suspension of disbelief, which I am more than happy to, I think it was, um, it was Denny used to say, we don't ask why the Batmobile never gets caught in traffic. Right. <laughs> um, which is corollary. <clears throat> it's the corollary to, I believe the Archie Goodwin, uh, statement that the entire of the DC universe, uh, is an inverted 
triangle that rests on the fact that Clark Kent wears glasses. You know, <laughs> that that's just, I, there are certain things you don't look at too closely, right? Because you accept it and you go. If yeah, you yeah. start to nitpick that, then then you then you will unravel the whole thing. You will destroy any enjoyment possible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I can do that very easily with almost everybody. With the Joker, it becomes harder and harder and harder to do. Because the more extreme the Joker gets in the comics, and that is always his trajectory. His trajectory is always to become more horrific, to become more horrible. At a certain point, you go, then, you know what? There's got that. It doesn't matter if Batman's not going to kill him. Somebody is. Somebody's going to put him down. This is the problem with sort of that mashing together of a universe where you have a Superman who doesn't kill and a Batman who doesn't kill. Uh, and each of them with their different power sets and their different moralities and drivers, right, that collide. Um, at a certain point, you look at the Joker and you go, it doesn't matter if he's sick in the head, you know? He's, he doesn't get a pass anymore. And I remember arguing, really arguing, that we needed to kill the Joker at the end of No Man's Land. Really? That, wow. Yeah, that Jim needed to shoot him. That 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 the Joker had killed Sarah. He had murdered Sarah. And that, you know, that Jim at that point was like, you know what? There is no law in this. I am the authority. I am the law. I try you. You're guilty. Boom. Over. And that if we had gone out on that, people would have been like, holy Christ. And then they would have gone and he'll be back in 45 minutes. And lo and behold, <laughs> he'll be back in 45 minutes. Um. <laughs> But I, I fought actually really hard. I was like, we, we've got we've to do this. And the response is, well, you can't. I mean, we just can't. Because at a certain level, and you see it more and more now, uh, because DC Comics doesn't exist anymore. It's DC Entertainment, right? right? Yeah. So all of these characters are now IPs. They're all, they were always monetized, but now they're exceptionally monetized. So, I mean, you just can't touch that revenue stream. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but the result is that you end up with problems like the Gotham TV show, which had, <laughs> well, which somebody told me, and I don't watch it, right? But the problem that I have seen just in everything I've heard is that if you do this show, you defeat the purpose of Batman, right? right. You're predating it mm-hmm. to right. such an extent that, you know, it, 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 you have just changed the entire mythology. And somebody was telling me, well, actually, they've said that Gotham's supposed to be non-canonical. To which I go, okay, great, except millions more people will know Gotham than have ever picked up a Batman comic. Exactly. So you can say it's not canon, but guess what? To them, it is. Um, so, you, you know, you, you get into interesting interesting discussions there to bring it all the way back I, I i had lunch with paul and i said you know i think you write the best joker i mean i just i you know just in the animated in the comics and i want to try to figure out how you do that you know and paul kind of looked at me and blinked and was like who are you you know okay <laughs> um and you know we had a really good talk uh you know he's got a good take on him and was a take that 
you know, I, uh, like I said, I always found him difficult. Characters like Harvey, you know, Harvey Dent, made mm -hmm. perfect sense to me. I understood Harvey from the get-go. I've always been fascinated. Uh, Poison Ivy, I always have gotten. One of the beauties of the Batman rogues gallery is that these characters have incredible pathos. And that was my problem with the Joker, is that he doesn't have any pathos. He lies to you, you know? And, and one of the things that I've always found difficult is the adoption in the last 15 years, really, of the Red Hood mythology. Because in doing that, it legitimizes a lie that the Joker is telling Batman. There's no reason to believe anything that that guy says is ever true. Right. So why do we believe that origin? Why does he have to have an origin? Right. He doesn't need one. And in point of fact, I would argue that he shouldn't have one. Exactly. Be because in so many ways, the Joker is exactly, exactly what Batman exists to fight. That's you know, true. Bat uh -huh. You know, the Joker is the walking embodiment of the chaos that killed his parents. You can't understand it. You cannot prevent it. You can go out there every night and try to keep it from happening. And you can save one life over here. But while you're over here, somebody's going to get shot over there. And that's always been the pathos of Batman to me, that he knows that, but he goes out every night to do that. You know, because saving that one life matters. He knows he's never going to save all of them. You know, but he's going to damn well try. So you, so you said you don't watch the television show Gotham. No. Is, is there any particular reason why? Just because you've written like one of the, like the most sentimental, uh, perfectly written Gotham Central pieces of all time. For real. I, you know, it isn't. It isn't. Um, it isn't a judgment about the show because that would be the, that would be incredibly arrogant to judge something I had not seen. Right. Um, it's more that I know myself pretty well, and um, look, you know, I mean, in, 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 I'm turning 46 at the end of this month, right? I have I'm starting to settle into yeah, I'm an old fart, and I have a certain. Oh, I'm, I am a pico liberal in almost all of my politics. I'm very conservative in my Batman. And, <laughs> and I think, frankly, a lot of writers who work in, in comics, we, we invest a hell of a lot, you know, in, in the work. Even if the work ultimately isn't successful, it doesn't mean that we didn't, you know, bleed and sweat over everything. And Batman was a huge part of my life for a real long time. And I'm always going to have a very deeply held personal connection there. And in the same way that when I, you know, when I was fired from Wonder Woman, I couldn't really go back and read Wonder Woman. I find it very difficult to read Batman in many cases because it doesn't matter how good it is. I'll sit there and I'll go, eh, I, I want to quibble with it, right? And... I know myself well enough to know that if I did that with a TV show, all I would do is make myself unhappy for an hour, right? There's, yeah. there's no point in giving me, there's no, it serves no purpose for anybody. Right. You know? 
for me to sit there and be like, wow, I'm really not enjoying this. Oh, nobody um, enjoys that show. Who's a fan well, of Batman? you know, <laughs> clearly there are enough people who are watching it that, you know, it, it's still going. It's so, still airing, yeah. You know, it's, it's somebody, somebody's digging it. And one of the things that, you know, like I said, I'm fairly conservative with regards to some of these characters. And one of the things that was real clear to me when the new 52 was rolled out was these books are no longer for me. I am not the audience. They do not, they do not want me. And that's fine. That is okay. Not everything out there has to make me happy. You know, one of the brilliances of, of, you know, and I saw this Paul Levitz when he was running DC mm-hmm was very good at publishing books that he himself did not personally like. And that sounds like an odd thing to say, but it's the publisher of a company and he could sit there and go, it doesn't matter if I don't like this personally. I see that there is an audience for it, right? If I don't have to like it to know whether or not it's good, right? Right. And... That was really crucial. You know, I, I, I know for a fact that there were a lot of people when we rolled out Gotham Central who really did not like that book. They felt it was not an appropriate book for DC Comics. You know, Ed and I had to fight over the title. They wanted to call it Batman, colon, Gotham Central. It's like, no. Wow. That's misleading. Very. You know, but... But it wasn't intended to be misleading. What it was intended to do was to force Ed and I to put Batman in it. Right? Well, he's in the title. He's got to appear. It's like, nah. No, he doesn't. <laughs> in fact, it works because you don't see him. And right. when you do see him, it's not always nice. Right. Exactly. So. so when you and Ed sat down and began conceiving the idea of Gotham, Gotham Central... How long did you guys initially talk about it? And like, did the project evolve over time? Or was it relatively quick? Um, I don't, uh, like I said, this was a while ago. So uh, my memory is, is, is probably wildly incorrect on this. What I remember is that Denny, um, Denny had had a, a, a pretty severe heart attack. And he was going to be leaving the bat group and Bob Shrek was going to be coming in. And we had a bat, <clears throat> a bat summit where all the writers got together uh, in upper, upper Nyack. I think it was uh, it, near Denny's home. And that was sort of the, the transitional bat summit, right? That was, here's Bob and he's going to start taking over things. And at that, I think that might have been like the first or second time Ed actually met each other in person. Like we actually met in person. And I had been, and I'm sure you've read this in some interviews somewhere, I'd been carrying in my wallet a torn out page from a wizard magazine where they had done an informal poll of which, you know, which supporting character needs their own book. And the pie chart had the clear winner was Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. And I've been carrying this around because I wanted to do a cop book. And that was going to be my whole argument. What's going to be seen? like, see, people will read it. It said so. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Ed and I somehow got on 
the subject, and we both realized that we both wanted the same thing. We wanted to do a Gotham cop book. So we started agitating for it and started getting, getting that boulder rolling. And by, I think it was the next summit, because Je- Jeanette was still uh, in charge of the company at that time, we were having another summit. And Carlin, I think, was editor-in-chief. And we were sitting there in the room, and we had finally convinced them to let us, we wanted to do this cop book. And we were having an argument about the title. And then Jeanette came in, and we just did a total end run around every editor in the room. Like, the second she came in, Ed and I were like, so, hey, we've got this idea for this book, and it's called Gotham Central, and it would be about the cops in Gotham, and Batman's like a presence in it, but you never see him. And she was like, that sounds great, go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> you could just see Carlin sitting at the head of the table being like, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am sure that I missed out on a great many battles that were fought over books, you know, while I was off typing in, in Oregon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the nature of it. So. Uh, so what is your writing process like? Are you pouring over old uh, Batman material? Are you locking yourself in a room, typing it up? Like what... Break break us down for the audience what your writing process is like. Well, you want to know what it was like then or what it's like now? Let's, it whatever you want to, whatever, whatever, is, we can do now, we can do then, it's up to you. Well, I, I mean, back then I was, you know, I would, I was doing a lot of reading because it mattered, you know, to know the history and to know the continuity. Mm-hmm. Though, frankly, I've always been less concerned with continuity than I have with sort of legacy, if, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think that continuity, you know, when it serves the story, it's great. When it impairs the story, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and continuity needs to serve the story. Stories don't need to serve continuity. Um, and I'm sure when people actually parse the syntax of that sentence, they'll be like, well, you, I disagree. But... I, I I feel that the story must come first. You know, in those days, I wrote I wrote much faster than I write now, and I was able to sort of keep pieces, I guess, in my head. I don't know if better or differently. My process these days tends to be far more meticulous, and it may simply be that I've been writing comics for over fifteen years now, and and. Ideally, I've learned stuff in that time so that I am not making the same mistakes that I'm aware of, of different tools and different ways that I can work that I wasn't prior. Um, but there were some days where, you know, I could sit down and literally, you know, boom, eight hours later, there was a 22 page script. Nice. And, and, and some really good issues, frankly, were written that way. Some issues that, I look back on and I go, you know, this is good. Hang time, um, which was the one-off that Birchett drew about the family that goes off the road, um, and it's just a, it's just a night, you know, it's just a Batman night, right? Yeah. Um, you know, where he's 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 after these guys who have held up a a pharmaceutical exchange, uh, but in the process of that, he sort of realizes this other thing has happened and you know, gets to them and, 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 and it's, a, it's a done in one. It's nice. 22 page self. And that thing wrote like a dream, man. I mean, just boom. 
uh, flew out. It, it was waiting to be written. Um, Tech seven. 47 is that one the montoya birthday one okay okay um it's the it's that beautiful dave johnson cover where renee's holding the bowl of tulips and they're turning into bats and batman's sort of looming behind her um gorgeous freaking cover uh, <laughs> unbelievable yeah. cover that was another one that just boom wrote like a dream and i remember just i i knew everything in the story um you know, on Central, Ed and I would get on the phone when we were doing uh, the, the when we were doing the splits, when we were doing arcs where we would come together, and we would take about an hour to sort of break down the story, and then we would quite literally break down the issue page by page so that we knew who was writing what pages, and we would always, you know, we'd always try to make it an even split. So he'd write eleven, I'd write eleven, and. That actually worked very easily in Central because we had from the start said, okay, you get this shift, I get this shift. So we had characters that we primarily wrote. It wasn't to say that I never put lines in driver's mouth, but when I did, I did so very rarely, and I always did so with, with full knowledge that Ed had every right to go in and change it, right? Because that was his guy. He knew Marcus in a way that I just wasn't going to know him. That's so interesting. Um, and and those, you know, I got to tell you, those wrote incredibly easily as a result because when you know where everything has to go, you've done 90% of the work. The rest is typing. You know, you know what has to be accomplished in each scene. And that's always the goal, frankly, in any in any sort of storytelling. What is the purpose of this scene? What is the goal? What is the information that has to get across here? What's thematic that has to be seen? That's the efficiency of it. And one of the reasons I love comics, frankly, is that it forces you to be economical. You had, you know, in those days, 22 pages. These days, you've got 20. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure people realize how much that hurt. Losing those two pages was enormous. That was enormous. Um, those, the real estate's real valuable. You can go through my books and you're going to be hard pressed to find a lot of double page spreads and you're not going to find a whole lot of splash pages either. And that's because I'm freaking greedy about (laughs) real estate. And I mean, if you're going to, if you want two pages for a single image, it better be the second coming, man. (laughs) That's so great. the most important thing ever to have happened in comics for me to give up two whole pages. Um, and this is uh, for that reason. I my books have been uh, criticized for not being that dynamic, and that may be true. I you did. know, so I disagree completely. I think your writing style—it's—it's it's like I'm watching the Wire or the Shield just unfold in Gotham City with Gotham Central. It's perfect for the the medium. You're taking characters that, and you're giving them heart and soul. And it's it's not just about Batman. This is something that's more important. This is about the day in life of the police department that has to put up with this this crime, this criminal uh, element from Two Face, the Joker. And you know, the, what's the relationship with Batman? Those, those things are always come in question. And that's what's great about your writing. Uh, like when I look at your 
like your writing and just the artwork from uh, Michael Lark, it's like I'm 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 reading like a sequel to Batman Year One. Mm-hmm. And it's basically it's Batman Year One. Then it's Gotham Central all tied together because a lot of Michael's when I'm when I'm when I'm looking at both these comic books, it's like page and page. I'm looking at Mazzuchelli's artwork. I'm looking at Lark's. I can't tell the difference. That's how great it is. Yeah. You're, that's that's high praise, man. You're uh, you're the wonderful. modern Frank Miller. You were you, I mean, like the Eisner Awards alone, like I, like we can't say that enough. Like yeah. three Eisner Awards, twenty other nominations. I'm telling you, like, I, it, Gotham Central, they need a they need to hire HBO or AMC needs to hire you, write Gotham Central for a TV show, and just if you. It it would be the it'd be bigger ratings than The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones. And well, I, I, I'm not sure I disagree with that. I will say that when they greenlit Central, Ed called me and he said, "Well, we're screwed." <laughs> and I was like, "What? What happened?" And he said, "Well, they're doing this show, and it's going to be, and apparently Crispus is in it, and Renee's going to be in it, and we're never going to see a Central." And Damn. I was like, "Well, you know, this is the nature of work for hire." Right. It yeah. always seemed to me especially coming out of the Nolan movies, that they were really primed to actually do something that you pretty much like you just described. But, you know, the, the nature of the business down there, you know, and I say down there meaning Hollywood, in as much as I know it is, you know, they, they, they're looking to sell what they think is going to work. And I pretty much guarantee you that the initial pitch for gotham wasn't gotham but was gotham central yeah i i I would put money on the fact that they brought this pitch in to fox and or maybe even fx and they said this is look at this and somebody got excited and said that would be awesome and i love the book and so on and then it went up the chain and somebody said wait a minute what do you mean we're getting uh Gotham City, but we don't get Batman. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to greenlight a show that has no Batman in it. And so they went back and they said, look, we how do we how do we make this work? And that's how you end up with a Gotham, right? With with the show. Right. It's them going, okay, how do we how do we compromise when we when we can't give them what they want, but we'll give them everything but. And that's what they've done. They've given them everything but. Here's proto-Selena. Here's proto-Penguin. Here's pro Okay, great. All right. All the detectives now are, are, are going to be, you know, 10 to 20 years older than they actually should be. But that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> right. Don't it worry just, about that. It just, it's such a watered-down version of... It's... I, I really hate <laughs> to think of it as... There's Gotham Central, then there's Gotham. People are going to think, well, you know, why do I need to read the books? Because I'm watching a completely different show, completely different tonally. Uh, everything's just about the villains. It's, it has nothing to do with the day and day of the, the, the shit. Like how you guys had everything. There's like a shift change and how the night was much different than the daytime. It, it just, I don't know. I, I, just can't, I just can't watch that show anymore because what... Uh, a Greg Rucka, Gotham Central, AMC, FX, HBO, Showtime, or even Netflix show could be compared to what's on Fox right now, night and day. Yeah, well, you'd get, I imagine, something much more like Alias or, um, 
you know, or, or, or Daredevil. But, you know, look, I mean, I, I'm, uh, it is always, always heartening to hear that, you know, someone's passionate about it. Um, this is not stuff that I can ever afford to lose sleep over. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and trust me, I've lost a lot of sleep over DC Comics over the years. Right. A lot of sleep. Um, I also don't think Ed is actually correct when he had said to me, well, that's it. Um, one of the things I have seen is if the idea is good. Somebody will dust it off. You know, give it another five years. Give it another six. Give it another eight. You know, it's cyclical. Gotham's not going to be on forever and the show will go away. And Hopefully that's not passing judgment on the show. It's just saying, you know, it'll eventually end. And then, you know, somebody will be going through the IPs because that's now the way it works. And they'll go, okay, well, we never did anything with Gotham Central. Mm-hmm. Um, and better yet, we don't have to pay the guys who wrote it. So let's do this. You know, <laughs> no, it's look, it's work for hire. You can bitch about it all you like, but I don't have a whole lot of them. Um, I, 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 I expect to be compensated for those things that uh, we are agreed that I should be compensated for. But one of the things that you agree to when you work at Marvel, when you work at DC, when you work on Star Wars, right, is that these are not yours. And what you bring to the universe, you're not going to get to keep. It goes, it goes to the owners. Um, and like I said, you know, talking about I wanted Gordon to kill the Joker and they said no. And they had and they had good business reasons to say that. And it didn't matter how wrong I thought they were or what was best for the story. Their right was to say you can't do that. And if I had done a story and I had said, look, I want to do a story where Batman, uh, you know, gets his legs chopped off by a Cuisinart. A giant Cuisinart <laughs> made by the Joker. They would have said, "No, Batman cannot. We are, you know, Batman cannot go around on his knees. You know, Fair you can't enough. have prosthetics. You get, you can't do that to him. You know, how will you get him his legs back? You know, didn't we do? Didn't we do the broken back story already? Right. You can't. You know, if you're going to do a story, this is jumping heroes, and this is one of the things that still burns me, frankly." Uh, about the Wonder Woman thing. If you're going to do a story where Wonder Woman kills somebody, i.e. Max Lord, then it is incumbent on you to tell that whole story. Right. And the thing that still pisses me off to this day was I got fired off the book and they just decided we're done with that. It's like this, you have to answer that. You have to answer that. That was never meant to be a done in one. There was a year and a half worth of story to come out of that. And I had it plotted. I was going to put her in prison uh, and being Diana, she wouldn't try to escape, you know, cause she'd be like, no, they found me guilty. And both, both Clark and Bruce would be like, what the hell is she doing? You wow, know? <laughs> right. They're going to execute her. We have to get her out. And they would go through these huge contortions to break her out. And I had this, I, 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 I had this image of this scene where finally, you know, Batman has done, his brilliant chess game and he's got the power grid down and he's unlocking the force field and he's there and he opens the door and he says, come on, let's go. And Diana says, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds what? amazing. She says, they found me guilty. I'm not leaving. 
And Bruce is like, are you out of your, okay, look, I applaud your idealism, Diane. I really do. I, it's one of the things I love about you. Can we talk about this outside? You know, Might. I would have loved that. I would have loved to have read that. Yeah. Because there is so much story. Like you could, like you could just continue on with that as well. Like many years down. The, oh yeah. my God. And, and, it, and, and see things like that, right. You're talking about doing something substantial to the character. Something that's going to that the character is going to carry, and mm -hmm. if it isn't answered, if it isn't honored, then it becomes what I call a drive by. And you know, you never want to do a drive by on a character, especially on characters. This goes back to the work for hire thing, right? It's theirs, they get to make the rules in exchange for that. They're going to pay you reasonably well, not, not terrifically, but you get you, you're going to make a living. And you're going to write stuff that Batman's going to say. And how cool is that? Right. That seems fair to me. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's pretty cool. Right. So that's the trade off. Right. The trade off is you, you get to go and you get to, you get to touch these legacies and hopefully add to them. And the thing that I hate about, you know, what, what I call a drive by is that. So you go in and, 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 and you see writers do this. They want to make a mark on the legacy, but they don't want to own it. So they'll come in and they'll do six issues and they'll do something outrageous. And then off they go. And, oh, nice we write this care. I'm out of here. You know, and it's like, what the hell, man? <laughs> you, just, you just did something enormous to the character. You know, own it. Honor the character. You know, Bruce, one of the things that we tried really hard to do uh, and, and we never succeeded in shifting away from it, was trying to move away from this idea that Bruce is always haunted, um, that every single day is, Mom, Dad, I miss you. Um, that after 20-odd years, he has acknowledged that that grief is never going to be entirely gone, but that isn't the reason he goes out every night. That that isn't it anymore. That the purpose of doing good for the sake of doing it, that is his best destiny. He has made a choice to now become this. Right. Um, that to me would have been really interesting growth, but you know, we, it didn't take, didn't take. So. so I love all the passion and excitement you've expressed for some of these characters I've gotten right for. Are there any, besides ones that we've already mentioned tonight, that you really enjoyed writing and maybe would like to write about more in the future? I really would have loved to have actually gotten to spend more time with, with Ivy. Um, there was a lot there that I wanted to, wanted to play with. Um, I didn't get to. And we're talking DC specifically, yeah, because I was very lucky. I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. You know, I was there for about 10 years. And in that time, I pretty much got to write anybody I wanted. Right. Uh, and, and some, I think, I served better than others. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I was, I was, yeah, I, I can, you know, I can, I have a whole list of complaints, but at the end of the day, you know, it was, it was a pretty good trip. I would have loved to have spent, I think, more time um, with Alfred. 
And I never, ever really wrote Batman and Robin. Um, yeah. I was, I was sort of in this weird limbo where, you know, Tim had sort of separated out and Dick was off in Bloodhaven. And so Batman was working alone. And, and that suited me very well then. But I think, you know, in retrospect, having trying to figure out how I would have written that relationship and, and, and how they worked together and what each got from it. I always felt that Tim wasn't doomed to it. And then, of course, they, what, they murdered his dad, did they? Um, I can't remember. And, yeah, but, but of course, they had to give him the tragedy. And one of the things I always loved about Tim initially was that that you could look at Tim and you could imagine that at some point he was going to stop doing it. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that, that, that he would set it down and be like, right now I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to write movies in Hollywood or whatnot. And he would never betray it, but that he would be the healthy one to come out of it. You know, mm-hmm. Bruce can never set it down no. and, and, and would never really want to. He, he made a choice. You can always say and, the same thing about Dick too. Exactly. I think, I, th- I think he can. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, so that, that would have been interesting to explore sort of the, that difference. And then, you know, and I remember it. I remember, I remember being privy to the discussion that they decided that we really needed to do this Robin so that he was always going to be in. And I was like, why? There's no reason to do that. Why? You know, why, why did he have to, why did he, why did he have to be damned like the rest of them? Um, there was some Batwoman stuff that we didn't get to finish. You know, there was a final Alice arc that, that Jim and I had wanted to do in that first year um, that didn't happen uh, for for the simple reason that I, I left DC. Um, and there were some characters that I only got a handle on very late. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I held off on writing Cheetah, for instance, until late in my Wonder Woman run because I just couldn't figure her out. And <clears throat> I had a conversation with Jeff Johns, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was like, okay, well, the time has come to write the Cheetah story, and I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And, and Jeff was like, well, write it from her POV. And I was like, what? He said, that's what works for me, man. That's, that's how I found you know, what, what made the rogues for flash work was when I got in their head and I was like, you know, that makes, that's so simple and makes such sense. Right. And the second I did it, I was like, Oh my God, this character is amazing. I, I respond as I said earlier to pathos mm-hmm. and the beauty of the Batman's rogues is almost all of them. You understand their pain. You know, you look at Harvey and you go, there is a good man trapped in there who is now so broken, he needs to flip a coin to determine if he's going to do the good thing or the bad thing. The coin is never about, do I go left or right? The coin is, am I gonna, am I gonna run into the burning building and save the family? Or am I gonna bar the door so they can't get out? That's what the coin flip is. Right. He can't make a moral decision anymore. So he makes, that's what the coin does. I've never even uh, thought of it like that. Yeah, I've always hated, it's why I hate the Tommy Lee Jones portrayal in the movie. 
We hate the yeah. Tommy Lee Jones portrayal too. Yeah, <laughs> you're not the only one. But it's like, do I use the gun or the knife? It's like, no. That's not no. how it works. Yeah. That, is, that is not a coin worthy question. No. <laughs> <laughs> coin worthy question is, am I am I a good person or am I a bad person? That's what the split is. That's what the division is. Am I am I an angel or am I a devil? Um, and that's heartbreaking to me. That is there's such beautiful poetry in it. And you know, before before Renee became the question, I used to say her superpower is that she could talk to both of them. That both Harvey and Two Face heard her at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. She was the only thing they could agree on was was Renee. <laughs> and and that was what made that relationship unique. Um you know, and there was more, you know, I, I look, I look back, I would have done more with Renee. I would have loved to have chased the question legacy further. I've always loved Huntress. I would have loved to have done, done more with that. Huntress. Um, you know, I mean, so there's always, and the beauty of that universe is there's always a story to tell. Oh, yeah. Def- yeah. You know? There was a Batman, I've talked about this too, but I've always wanted to do the Batman story about the poor son of a bitch whose job it is every year. On, on the 8th of August or whatnot, you know, some syndicate knows that they're getting their shipment of fill in the blank. It's guns, it's ammunition, it's heroin, whatever, whatever the MacGuffins. And they know it's going to come in, you know, at this place down in Tri-Corner. This is what's going to happen. And they absolutely cannot have Batman be there. They have okay. gone to extraordinary lengths to make sure that nobody else knows about this. They have been smart. So now the thing they've got to do is make sure that Batman is not in tri-corner between the hours of 2.30 and 5 in the morning. So the way they're going to do that is they keep sending, you know, Phil or, you know, this year it'll be Teddy or next year it'll be Jose, right, up to, you know, the North Park blocks. And they tell him to hold up a convenience store badly, right? And the year Batman figures out that he's been played, <laughs> oh, you want to see him pissed off. You know? I mean, what? That moment when he realizes, wait a minute, didn't we do this three and a half years ago? Wow. And then him being like, penny drops. <laughs> and it's like, all these guys have been like, woohoo, we outsmarted the bow. Here he comes. You, you, you tell a story, that is man. how you tell a story. <laughs> I have a question for you when it comes to, do you prefer writing uh, novels, novelizations over comic books or? No, 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 comics. Comics? That's awesome. I used to to view it very much as apples, and it is, it's apples and oranges. It's two different processes, right? But it's interesting. I I did an interview around New York Comic Con, and uh, they just published the first part of it. And, uh, and I was asked what I was listening to, which led to the fact that I'm working on the new novel. And that led to me talking about the fact that I think this is my last one for a while. I find the novels so painful, so difficult right now. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. You know, they take a lot of time. One of the things I love about comics is that they are so collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to talk to other people. I'm working with people. I look at Lazarus, you know, I look at the creator own stuff I'm doing, Lazarus, Stumptown, Black Magic. And there are whole teams on these books, and we talk to each other. We're in communication. I'm not working in isolation. You know, Nicola and I talk 
And so what she's putting down on the page for Black Magic isn't simply the result of the script. It's the result of the script and our conversations and talking to our editor and talking to our designer and talking to the, our letterer and on and on. Same thing for Lazarus, right? Mm -hmm. When you write a novel, you are pretty much, you know, you're locked in your head. And that takes, uh, takes a lot of discipline, which I've got. It takes a lot of time, which I don't. Um, and it takes a lot of, for me at this point, heavy lifting. It is so, the, the return of effort to reward on novels. I've written 26, 27 of these things at this point. Wow. Um, and, you know, they, uh, you know, they just, they don't, <laughs> I, I reach more people with an average issue of Lazarus than I do with a new novel, you know, and Lazarus is by no means setting charts on fire. You know, we sell about 16,000. It's a very right? interesting statistic, you know, but my first printing in hardcover, if I sell 3000 copies, that's big for me. Okay. So it, and, and that makes it seem like it's only monetary and it isn't, that is certainly a part of it. Right. I need to make a living. I've got a wife. I've got two kids and my kids are rapidly approaching college. So I'd like to be able to pay for such a thing. Right. Uh, you know, I would like to buy myself new shoes occasionally, things like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I. And it's very interesting. You could, you, and you had no idea you were opening this can of worms. I apologize. No problem. Oh, no. If you had asked me this in 2009. In, in spring of 2009, I would have said, I'm done with comics. I am just broken and fed up. And, uh, you know, the, the sight of them makes me sick. And I spent about three years literally unable to walk into comic book stores. Like, I would walk in and I would get uncomfortable and angry and unhappy and have to walk out. Um. And you ask me today, and I, I can think of a few things I enjoy more than sitting down and, and breaking down a script. This goes to the process question. You know, these days I tend to actually use book maps, uh, which is, which is a, a publishing document that is sort of a template layout that is a little, it is literally a landscape-oriented page that has hollow uh, pages on it, right? So mm -hmm. you see what the page one is, and then the two, three, and the four, five, and the six, seven, right? And I, I, I have a stack of those. And when I'm starting a new issue, I break one out, and I break out my notepad, and I look at any notes I have, and then I sit there, and I, and, and I look at each page, and I block sort of the motion of the book through the pages. I never used to work that way. Right. I enjoy everything about the process uh, at this point so much more than I ever did. Um, I find it incredibly rewarding. I love the medium. I love the power of it. I am not nearly as clever in it as some are. I mean, I, you know, I think what, for instance, Fraction and, and Aja did uh, with with 
Hawkeye is really revolutionary. I think it is as revolutionary in its storytelling as what Miller and Mazzucchelli were doing. I think, right. and, and you can see immediately in, in the desperate imitators that have come in its way. Uh, it's not for everybody. There are some other obligations. There are things that I need to chase down. And this novel, the new novel, you know, I'm looking forward to it being written. The writing of it is 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 not as enjoyable as that once was. But I like the story. I like the story I'm telling. But I think once once this one is done, it may be a while before I do another one. Greg Rock, but we can't thank you enough for coming oh, on the show, man. Oh, it's been man. a pleasure. Uh, thank I mean, you. Seriously, just you know, reach out to you guys. I ever want to talk again. It's been a delight. Awesome. Thank right, you. Thank, so. thank you for allowing me to ramble. Oh no, you're great. Thank we you for talking to us. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do it again, man. Like we awesome. love your work, and thanks a lot. Oh, it's been a pleasure. If you made it through that, uh, sorry again about the technical difficulties that we had. Um, we've now figured out what happened. And we're going to do our best to make sure that nothing like that happens in further episodes. So, once again, thank you so much for listening to Shanley on Batman. Check us out at www.shanleyandonbatman.com. Facebook, Twitter, you know the drill. Thank you. I'm Batman. I'm Batman.